James chapter 3. This marks our flip into the second half of the sermon series. So I've got one loaded on this semester. I'll be one less next semester just because of all the things we have going on. But James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, we're halfway there in the book of James. 108 verses, over 50 imperatives. He continues to hit us hard today as we talk about wisdom from above or wisdom from below. You'll recall that last week we talked about the untamable tongue, how the tongue could guide us in the right direction. We talked about the bits in the horse's mouth as a small bit guides a large, powerful horse, as a small rudder guides a large ship. We talked about how the tongue could destroy like a fire or like the venom of an animal. We talked about how the tongue revealed That tongue, those words reveal what's in our hearts. We see the words that come out of our mouths. It's allowing us to take the temperature of our own heart as we see things. Perhaps last week you sat here, as I did, and you said, wait a second, I don't like all of the words that come out of my mouth. Those words that come out perhaps in the heat of the moment, those words that come out perhaps when you're talking to yourself about what you wish you had said, those words which come to your mind and come out of your mouth that reveal things about yourself that you just don't like. They reveal that old sinful, selfish nature that's still inside of us. And you understand and realize by those words, when you evaluate them, I'm selfish. I'm quick-tempered. I have a tendency to boast. I actually like to gossip. I exaggerate. I lie. I deceive. I hurl accusations or hurtful criticism. Perhaps you sat here and you said, what am I to do then? If I can't tame my own tongue, if my tongue reveals a heart condition that there is a source for these words that is difficult, what am I to do? And so today, we sit at the feet of our inspired author, James, as he takes us to the source, recognizing that our hearts must be changed by the power of the gospel. We repent and we believe and our hearts are changed and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, a desire to get to know God better through reading his word, through memorizing his word, through meditating on his word, our hearts and our minds are then transformed, renewed daily to his image, not conformed to this world. We see that, but we recognize that we still struggle. Are you there? You should be. You should be honest enough to admit that you still struggle. After all, it was Peter himself who in one sentence said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and was commended only a few verses later for Jesus to have to reprimand Peter because of his speech and say, Satan, get behind me. We're there too, aren't we? There are moments where we sing praises to God and we sing them with such hearts full of adoration and glory to him that we, we feel as though we are in communion with the Holy One in those moments. And then in another moment, we turn right around and say something bad about someone created in his image. How is it, though, that we can struggle less? How is it that we can live a life more conformed to the image of Christ? How is it that we can more glorify God? And James zooms in, in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, where he talks about true wisdom, wisdom from above, a wisdom that brings righteousness, a wisdom that brings peace as compared to a worldly wisdom which brings division and sin. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast 
Do not be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but this is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Dear Lord, today help us to think how we can have wisdom from you, wisdom from above, and live our lives by that wisdom to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and you may be seated. First, what we see in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, is we see a rhetorical question. It's kind of a conditional question, too. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? This is a question. Who is wise? Who of you thinks he's wise? You could put this in a conditional sentence. If you think you're wise, if you think that you have understanding, then it says, by his good conduct... And then also by meekness of wisdom, there are two actions that you should have that will show that you are wise and that you are understanding. It says there in response to the question, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now that meekness of wisdom is an understanding that says a humility that wisdom brings. When we have true wisdom, true godly wisdom, we understand that we are simply sinners in need of grace, saved by his mercy, and that brings to me a humility. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. There's nothing so great about me that God looked down upon me and said, I'm going to pick him. It's only by his grace and his mercy that any of us have a relationship with God the Father, with Jesus Christ. And so by that, it brings to us a humility. It brings to us a meekness that we are to show in all of our actions. So you're wise in understanding. How do you show it? Think about what the world would tell you. You're wise in understanding. What is your IQ? James says no. If you're wise and understanding, what is your SAT, your ACT score? And for some of you, thankfully, James says no. If you're wise and understanding, show it by your GPA. And those of you with 2.0 mugs are glad that James says no. But those of you with 4.0 mugs needs to recognize that James says no. So you're wise and understanding. Show it by your awards. James says no. So you're wise and understanding. Show it, faculty members, by your publications or the credentials after your name. And James again says no. So you're wise and understanding. How do you show it? You show it by your conduct, your good conduct, your conduct that reflects the fruit of the Spirit. Show it by your meek wisdom, your humble wisdom. Meekness. It's a word that we don't use very often. It's a word that some associate with weakness, but it actually really means power under control. In some of its original uses, the word meek would be for a horse that had been broken, a powerful animal, yet an animal that was under control so that it could be used for the right purposes. And here what James is saying is there's an understanding that there's a wisdom, that there is something that is meek, that is understood and controlled in such a way that we can use it for the glory of God. 
It's not that you are so smart that you have a pride that creeps up inside yourself, not recognizing that God gave you the very intelligence, but that you have been given a stewardship of that intelligence. You recognize it comes from God. It is a power that is under control so that it can be used for God's glory and for his purposes. Meekness, the right use of power. Wisdom, the right use of knowledge. Put together here in this sentence so that you have the meekness of wisdom. A humility with knowledge. It's not just a humility without knowledge. It's the two that are put together. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We look back in the Old Testament, we see Moses, a man who in Numbers 12, 3 is said about him. Now the man, Moses, was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. James in his own letter has already told us that we should be meek in James 1.21, where he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So I ask you a question of application today. If you had to look in the mirror, would you put yourself in the category of humility or in the category of pridefulness? Which one do you most often fall into? If you had to ask your friends, If perhaps you called home to mom or dad this afternoon and you said, mom or dad, if you had to say I was humble or I was prideful, I was arrogant or I had humility, which one would you say about me? Where do I fall? And I would say to you, as you look at God's word, if you fall on the side of prideful arrogance, God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. We should make sure that we are characterized through a humility of wisdom. Sam Albury said it this way. He said, pride means we want to promote ourselves and bring others down. Pride is nothing to be proud of. I thought those words were a good description of the opposite of what we are to pursue. James continues in this discussion, though, and he gives us a contrast. He gives us first worldly wisdom or wisdom from below, and then we'll move next to wisdom from above. So we look first in verses 14 through 16 at worldly wisdom or wisdom from below. Look at what it says. But if you have bitter jealousy, now I've underlined and I've highlighted the word bitter. The word bitter here is the same word that's used in chapter 3, verse 11 for salt water. You remember the words that come from our mouth. They come from a spring that is either fresh or it's salt water. If it's the salt water, it's bitter tasting. It's nasty. It's a spring that is not fresh. It is not useful. If you have bitter jealousy, he's using this play on words to drive home the point here in chapter 3 that that salt water, that not fresh water, that's the bitter jealousy. That is the wrong pool that we don't want to be. We want to be a pool of fresh water, a pool that will glorify God. Here, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, we see the connection there with hearts too, back to the source. Do not boast. Do not lie. Do not say that you have the truth. Do not be false to the truth. Do not deceive. Because if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, you do not have the truth, is what he's saying. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. Look at what he says. He gives us three sources of this worldly wisdom or wisdom from below. He says, this is earthly. This is unspiritual. This is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. The word disorder here has a similar root to James 1.8, unstable. 
You'll remember in James 1.8, it talked about the man who was unstable, the man who was double-minded, the man who was conflicted in each of his ways. This disorder that it brings about, if you listen to the worldly wisdom of this earth, if you listen to the wisdom that comes from demonic forces, if you listen to the wisdom which is unspiritual, it creates a double-minded person. It creates disorder. It creates someone who is not stable. It creates someone who at the same time wants to have one foot on the land and one foot on the boat, and they are breaking apart, and they cannot stand in that situation for very long. Here we see it brings about disorder and every vile practice. When we look at the words that it comes about here with earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, I can't help but think about Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where we see that evil trinity of temptation. We see the world, the flesh, and the devil. We understand that in this life, we struggle with our human nature. We struggle with our flesh. There are things that the flesh tempts us to do, and it's one of our constant struggles. It is a struggle that you will never be ridden of until you're glorified, until you're with Christ. We understand that we live in a world, and a world that brings temptation our way, things that we can't resist sometimes that we give into. And we also understand that there are spiritual forces, there are demonic forces. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so here we see a similar instance in James where it talks about the earthly, the unspiritual, the demonic. I can't help but remember a time back in my life as I began to think through this, one instance came to mind vividly for me. I'm sure it didn't come to mind in in my friend. I'm sure sure he doesn't even remember it. I've apologized for it before and he didn't remember it when I apologized then, but I remember it vividly. I was sitting in my office and this was, this was many years ago. I was working on my PhD. And one of my best friends, we worked in the, in the same office. And, and we had met a guy who was giving away old books. How many of you like books? Now, how many of you love books? Now, how many of you really love books? Like, like the thought of having like a 15,000 volume library excites you. Anybody out there? Yeah, all right. I'm, all right, I'm with you, all right? I have never met a bad book, all right? We... We have multiple copies of the same book because I need one in her library at home, my wife's library, and I need one in my library at the office. And if I get a third copy, then I'll just put it in my library at home too. I mean, I love books. So this guy was coming in, it was a retired pastor, and he was giving away old books. And some of these old books were from the 1800s, still in good condition, and some of them were even autographed. They had the author's signature in them. Now, to someone who loves books like I do, this is gold. I mean, this guy's offering to give away books. And my friend walked in from the other room and my friend looked at him and he, he overheard that he was giving away books and he loves books like I do. And my friend looked at him and he said, hey, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hook a brother up? You're not gonna give me some books too? And my first thought in my mind as I'm sitting behind my desk is, whoa, 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 back off now. This is my gold mine. Find your own gold mine. I remember the selfishness, the selfish ambition the jealousy welling up in my soul like a fire that could not be contained. This was my best friend. I remember after the guy left, I actually had an argument with my best friend telling him that he should butt out and let me get all the books. And now I look back on that and think about it. I accused him of being selfish and jealous because I was getting something he wasn't getting. And inside my own heart, as I evaluate my true intentions, it was my own selfishness. It was my own selfish ambition. It was the fact that I couldn't rejoice that somebody else was going to benefit from this too. I want it all. It was my precious. (laughs) And you all have experienced it too, haven't you? Probably not with old books from a retired pastor. But something in life causes this bitter jealousy 
this selfish ambition to well up inside you. And sometimes it's trivial. And sometimes it causes such disorder and chaos in life because it's sin. And the devil just wants to rip apart whatever he can. You see it happen on sports teams all the time. You see it happen in life. You see it happen in dormitories. You see it happen in relationships with roommates who who just won't communicate with each other because they're, they're just ripping apart. And it's the devil wanting to tear apart relationships. We see it over and over again. Earthly wisdom. I began to think about God's word. Where do we see man's wisdom in God's word? So I just wrote down a few ideas. This is certainly not an exhaustive list. This is just off the top of my head, a few ideas. Cain thought it was a good idea to kill Abel. He wouldn't get caught. Selfish, ambition, jealousy. God saw it another way. The Tower of Babel seemed like a good idea at the time until there was utter confusion. So much so that we use the very term Babel now to talk about confusing communication. Abraham thought going to Egypt, claiming his wife was a sister, seemed like a good idea at the time. Lot thought it wise to move his family towards Sodom because the land looked better from an earthly appearance. And yet destruction was soon to follow. Samuel discovered that God didn't look on the outward appearance, but looked on the heart. King Saul wanted to put his armor on David. But all David needed was God, a slingshot, and a stone. David thought he could hide his sin by sending Uriah to the front lines, but God sent Nathan to confront him. Solomon thought that many wives would be a good idea until they turned his heart away from God. Jonah thought he could get in a boat and escape God, but a giant storm and a giant fish later changed his mind. The disciples wanted to dismiss the crowds and let them go get their own food, but Jesus fed them all with a few loaves and a few fishes. Judas thought it was a good idea to betray Jesus, and later the regret caused him to kill himself. Satan thought it was a good idea to put Jesus on the cross and to kill him until Jesus got up out of the grave, conquered death, conquered hell, conquered Satan, and proved that that was the actual perfect sacrifice slain for the sins of the world. Scripture is full over and over again of human wisdom being trumped by godly wisdom. And so in our lives, we see this in Scripture and we say, yes, I want the godly wisdom then. I want to have godly wisdom in my life. I don't want to have this earthly wisdom. But yet we have a sinful nature and we have a world and we have spiritual forces that pull at us, that tear at us. So daily, over and over again, we renew our minds with the Scripture, with the Word of God, so that we live by wisdom from above, not wisdom from below. James turns in verse 17 to discuss godly wisdom or wisdom from above. Verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's holy. It's without blemish. It's without fault. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. And what's the result of that wisdom from above? It's a harvest of righteousness. Is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you were to study the original languages in this, these first four characteristics all begin with an E sound. I tell you that to say this, James is not flippantly throwing out words. He has carefully crafted these words. These words point us back to the previous conversation of what has happened with the tongue. And they point forward to say to us that this is the condition of the heart. This is the wisdom that we should pursue. 
We should pursue a heart that is pure in its affections toward God. We should pursue a heart that is peaceable, that is gentle, that is open to reason, that's full of mercy, that loves good fruit. The last two also involve alliteration, but this time with an A sound. It's almost a metrical rhyming similarity. It's too bad that we can't capture the same thing in the English translation. As I think back about Scripture, what does Scripture then say to us about wisdom from above? James 1.5, he's already spoken to us on this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God through prayer. We pray to God and ask for wisdom. And God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. Proverbs 2.7 tells us this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Where do we get our godly wisdom? It's from God. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Proverbs 3, 13 through 16. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than from silver and her profit better than gold. What a countercultural message to tell you pursue wisdom more than the riches of this earth. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Proverbs 4, 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. You hear the urgency in the words there? It's almost as if he's writing to all of us and he's saying to us with urgency and quickness, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. Wisdom being personified as a lady here. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Do you hear the repetition, the urgency? Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Solomon, when the Lord grants him any wish that he could have. Now think about that for a moment. Call a timeout. Think about that. Slow things down just a little bit. If God were to show up here today, right now, and say to you, I grant you one wish, what do you want? What would you ask for? What would you desire? An A on that test that's coming up? To finish a degree? To be able to have a relationship with that person that you have such affections for, boy or girl? To walk with the Lord? finish well to be found faithful to be rich to have money to have possessions here Solomon 1 Kings 3 9 says give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people Daniel 2 verses 20 through 22 Daniel answered and said blessed be the name of the God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. This wisdom, what is the end product of this wisdom? What is the list that James gives us? It reminds us of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the joy is this, love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, I should have said, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so here we see the parallel of what James is calling wisdom. It's what Paul might call the fruit of the Spirit. It's what we get from reading the Scripture, from understanding the Scripture. James doesn't give us a list of to-dos to check off. He doesn't give us a legalistic list. He doesn't give us a heavy burden to bear. He tells us by the grace of the cross, by the power of the Spirit, by the Word that we have received with meekness, these should be the characteristics of our heart that come out from inside of us. Our words demonstrate them. Let's look at them side by side. If you were to see a chart of wisdom from above and wisdom from below, you would see, first of all, that they have different origin. One comes from above, one comes from below. They have different characteristics. Meekness, humility. Bitter jealousy as opposed to being peaceable. Selfish ambition as opposed to being gentle. Boasting as opposed to being open to reason. False to the truth versus sincere. Earthly or impartial. Unspiritual, full of mercy and good fruits. Demonic, pure or holy. Disorder or peace. Every vile practice or harvest of righteousness. Those last two being the results. So when you think about your life, when you think about those who are wise or who are understanding, then show by your good conduct... And by humility and wisdom, these actions, these results, where do you fall? How would you characterize your actions? James gives us the test. He's wanting us to test genuine faith versus false faith. He's also wanting us to take the test of maturity. As we want to grow in our righteousness towards Christ, as we want to be mature followers of Christ, here's our list, here's our test for today. We look at our lives and we look at ourselves and we say, am I characterized by bitter jealousy Selfish ambition, boasting, and my faults to the truth. Would somebody look at me and say, my wisdom is more earthly, unspiritual, demonic? Do I bring about disorder everywhere I go in every vile practice? Or does my life, does, does the things that I do, the wisdom that I have, the things that come out of my heart, is it humility? Is it peaceable? Gentle? Am I open to reason? Am I already set in all of my conclusions? I don't want to have any discussion. I don't want to hear any logic. Am I open to reason? Am I sincere? Am I impartial? Do I have mercy? Do I have good fruit? Do I demonstrate a life that's pure, a life that's holy? Do I seek to sow peace? Or do I seek to sow disorder? Do I reap a harvest of righteousness or every vile practice? I put out in the most scientific method that I typically use, Twitter or Facebook, an appeal to get from you worldly wisdom. Many of you, this is what you said. Think about these as worldly wisdom. Not that we agree with these, because we don't. But worldly wisdom. And some of these come from musical lyrics too, but I'm not going to go there and name the song or try to sing it. If it feels this right, it can't be wrong. Is that what society says to us? It's not what Scripture says to us, is it? If it feels good, do it. You complete me. You remember the reference to the movie there. And we all understand that our identity is found in Christ, not in another person. If we find it in another person, you're setting that person up to fail, and you're setting that person up as an idol. No person completes you, even if you love them dearly. Christ is all you need. Trust your heart. These hearts that have this sinful nature, that is fallible understanding, these hearts that pull us to do things, as Paul says, I do not do the things I want to do. I do the things I do not want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? 
Trust your heart. Guard your heart. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. YOLO. You only live once, so live it up. Can you imagine that worldview? You see it. You see it in Hollywood a lot. You only live once. That denies the resurrection, denies eternity. It denies the very thing that we stand for. It's a different worldview. It is there. Look out for number one. Or as it was when I was growing up, looking out for numero uno. You've heard it before. If you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will. Boasting. Pridefulness. Let's shack up. You have to test drive the car before you buy it. Or in the modern language, Netflix and chill. Is that biblical wisdom? The devil will do everything he can do to get you to go too far before you're married and to keep you from having a relationship after you're married. He wants to destroy you on the front end and the back end. God's wisdom is better than the world's wisdom. It's not wrong if you don't get caught. How many times have you heard that one? It's still wrong. Since everyone else is doing it, it must be right. No one will ever know. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. As if God can't see what happens in Vegas. I'm a good person. Are we really? We have a sinful nature. We have hearts that are deceitfully wicked. Who can know them? We may think we're good compared to the person we're sitting beside, but by the ultimate standard of Jesus Christ, we are not good people. We are sinners in need of grace, each and every day in need of grace. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which focuses on happiness in this world and not focused on the next world. Here's the bottom line. If your worldview centers on you, if you are the center of your world, then you have a flawed worldview. Because the worldview that the Bible presents is not centered on me and it's not centered on you. It's centered on Jesus Christ and on God and what God will do for his glory, what God will do for his own honor. And we can be part of God's great story and that brings freedom. Because I don't have to worry about my story and I don't have to worry about what's happening in my life. I can just be part of what God's doing and get in part of what what he's doing in this earth and in the next earth. I don't have to wear the burden of making sure everything goes the way that I want it to go. All I have to do is sit back, let God do what God's going to do, be actively involved in pursuing his will for my life and let him accomplish it. There's freedom there when you recognize the world is not all about you. Things that happen in life, you don't take them all personally because it's not all about you. I recognize this in my own life with my own sinfulness. I recognize this in my home. I recognize this, and I've told my kids this ever since they were little. Each one of them has heard over and over again, the sooner you learn the world's not about you, the better off you're going to be. Because once you have kids, a child, just like I had it as a child, thinks everything needs to center around them. And in our household, the children are part of the family. Everything doesn't center around each one of them. They fit into our family unit and our family group. And you're going to want to do the same thing when you have kids in your house as well. You need to make sure that you understand, just like we want everybody else to understand, the world is not all about you. The world is not all about me. And that is freeing. That allows us to live a life for God's glory without all the selfish ambition, without all the jealousy, because we can see what he's doing and get involved in his great plan. I'll close with this. Psalm 119, 97 through 101 says, Oh, how I love your law. 
It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold my feet back from every evil way in order to keep your word. How do we pursue wisdom from above, contrary to wisdom from below? God's word, every day, no exceptions. Read it, meditate on it, memorize it, apply it. Next day, repeat. Read it, meditate on it, memorize it, apply it, repeat. If you don't have a consistent plan for a personal relationship, a personal quiet time, a personal walk with God. That's step one. You can't understand the wisdom from above if you're not learning more about the God who has it, reading his word, praying to him to receive it, and then asking the Holy Spirit to empower you to apply it and to live it out. So that's my challenge to you today. Let us seek to be people who pursue wisdom from above, not wisdom from below, so that our actions will show it and our words will demonstrate it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we are all flawed vessels. Lord, there are days where we may do good, but there are days, Lord, where we do really bad. Lord, it's so easy in our lives on this earth to allow our own motivations, our own temptations, our own selfish ambitions, our own jealousy to creep in and affect our actions. So Lord, today, help us to evaluate where we are. Lord, if we are listening to earthly wisdom that is not true, correct us. Lord, help us to pursue heavenly wisdom from above, not for our glory, but for your glory, for your honor. Lord, help us to live lives that are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.